want to go ahead this morning and turn to Acts chapter 4. Kind of keep your thumb in Acts chapter 4, or your scrolling finger, however you do it. I want to talk about Independence Day today. Good morning, Zoomers. Celebrating our freedoms, not only uh, the freedoms that we have in this nation, but today is also a day, I believe, to celebrate the courage and the resolve of the Founding Fathers as they took their stand against tyranny. Uh, The last line of the Declaration of Independence says this, and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, that's God, Case anybody's wondering, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. I want to share a little bit of information this morning about the signers of the Declaration of Independence, uh, taken from actually a U.S. Senate website that quotes two sources. One, uh, Dumas Malone, the story of the Declaration of Independence from 1954, and T.R. Fehrenbach. Uh, greatness to spare, the heroic sacrifices of the men who signed the Declaration of Independence. They pledged, first of all, their lives. These men knew as public signers of the Declaration of Independence, they were publicly marking themselves as traitors to the British crown. Uh, Three were in their 20s and 18 of them were in their 30s. Benjamin Franklin was really the only old man at the time. They risked the safety of their families. All but two of them had wives and children at home, including infant children. They pledged their lives. Second, they pledged their fortunes. 11 signers were prosperous merchants. One owned the largest mercantile house in the Americas. Nine were large landowners, and many of these signers risked substantial personal fortunes. Number three, they pledged their honor. Twenty-four signers were lawyers or jurists. There were doctors of medicine, politicians, merchants, and even a minister. They knew that if America lost this struggle, they would never again practice their professions. So what price was actually paid? Nine of the signers died of wounds or hardships during the war. Another five were captured or imprisoned, and some of them were treated brutally. The wives and children of others were killed, jailed, mistreated, persecuted, or left penniless. The houses of 12 signers were burned to the ground. At Yorktown, American artillerymen purposely spared Thomas Nelson's house, which had been taken over by the British Army. Nelson himself gave a direct order that the house be fired upon. Eventually, the house was destroyed by cannon fire. Seventeen of the signers lost everything they owned. Not only were they willing to pledge 
but they paid up. Many of them paid dearly. So the question this morning, why were these men so willing to give up so much? Number one, I believe because they had enough of the status quo. They had enough of the effects of tyranny upon their lives, upon their families, upon their communities, and upon their nation. Number two, they looked beyond themselves and they saw something of incredible value that would not only touch their own lives and their own children, but generations to come. And so they resolved in their hearts that the independence of this nation was worth all they had to give. When I look at what they were willing to sacrifice um, and why, I can't help but think of our nation today. Where are we at? When we look around at our country and the things that are going on, especially, I think, in the church, when we look at, at the morality of our nation, where things are versus 20, 30, 50 years ago. Um, decisions that are, are made at the highest courts of the land that, that just, you know, boggle the mind. And I, I think amongst church people, it's pretty common for us to um, decry those things, to, to disparage, to moan about these things that are going on. But we know who's ultimately behind it, don't we? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Oh, we may want to blame certain leaders or political parties or the media, right? But in reality, you know what? They are all simply tools in the hands of something far bigger. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, in the sons of disobedience. I think we forget this in the church a lot. I think we are so quick to point fingers at and name people, and we forget, number one, that yes, we once walked, right, in sin and in darkness, and two, not realizing that there is a spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. So, like the Declaration of Independence, which put the responsibility for all that was happening on the main tyrant, King George, we also need to understand and put the blame where it belongs. And yet, like our founding fathers we also need to understand that it's time to fight. We have got to come to the place 
that they did. We've got to come where it's not just, well, we're complaining about taxes and we're complaining about this and we're complaining about that and King George is doing this. Finally, a group of people got together and they said, you know what? Enough's enough. That's the title of the message this morning. Enough is enough. We're not just going to sit by and complain about this. We're going to do something about it. Not only was there something um, affecting their lives, right? But again, they looked ahead, saw what the country would be in 50 years, 100 years under that same tyrannical rule, and then said, we need to change that on behalf of our families, on behalf of our children and our children's children. We need to do something, and it is worth the cost that many of them did end up paying dearly. It's worth it. We got to do this. Enough's enough. We've got to come to that same place. If we are going to throw off the tyranny, the spiritual tyranny that is set loose in our country, if we are going to secure a better world, a better life for our posterity, we've got to come to that place not only willing to fight, but do so with the understanding that we are going to have to sacrifice in the battle. There is no battle without sacrifice. There is a cost. There's always a cost. So what does that look like for us in a spiritual sense? Right? We're not going to grab our muskets. Right? But, but I'm going to be like Paul Revere here in this picture. I'm, going, uh, I'm, I'm riding through town saying, to arms, to arms, right? What, what does that look like for us? Well, first of all, our real battle, again, is not against flesh and blood. So 2 Corinthians 10.4 says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Look at that again. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You ever get a sense when you're looking at that America and our spiritual thing that there is a stronghold, right? that we seem powerless, really, to do anything about. It's just too deep. It's just too entrenched. The country has gone just too far. Divine power to destroy strongholds. Right? What are those weapons? Well, you could probably go to a lot of different places in Scripture and, uh, and look at that. I want to look at the early church from Acts chapter 4. Yes, I did have you turn there for a reason. I want to look at the early church and see what we can find there, uh, beginning at verse 24 of Acts 4, and said, when they heard it, okay, when they heard what? They heard this threat of of the Jewish authorities coming against this, this young church, right? And they're threatening them. They're threatening to throw them in jail. We're not there yet, yet, yet. But if we don't do anything, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God 
and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. First weapon of our warfare that I see, prayer. Prayer. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Prayer is the greatest weapon that you and I have against the forces of darkness. Make no mistake. Let me, let me ask you this question. How hard does the enemy and your flesh try to keep you off your knees? Right? Biggest battle we have, spending time in prayer. Why? Because the enemy knows that is the greatest weapon that we have, bar none. As we intercede before the throne of God, as we call upon the Lord on high, as we lift our voices to him day and night, he'll do anything to keep us off of our knees. Is there sacrifice involved? Oh, yeah. Time, effort, energy in prayer. Um, Evan Roberts, who was very, very instrumental uh, in the Welsh revival in the, in the late 1800s. Uh, incredible, incredible revival that swept Wales uh, and, and beyond. Uh, it, it started in the, in the coal miners. And it was so funny because there was such a change that came over these guys as they turned their hearts over to Jesus. Their language cleared up and the donkeys that they used didn't know what to do because the guys weren't cussing at them anymore. That was part of their, their uh, directions to these donkeys and they were all confused. Um, incredible, incredible move of God sweeping across, right? He would look at his friends as they, he, he writes this in his, in his uh, memoirs, he, he watched his friends and they would go boating and they would do this and they would do that. He'd say, I, 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 need, to, I need to spend time on my knees. I got to get in, shut myself in with God. And uh, he did that over and over and over again. And eventually it paid off. And he was in a meeting and the power of God fell and that meeting went on all through the night and then all through the week and then people started flocking. I mean, it was just incredible. Just incredible. Prayer. The second thing I see, the second weapon of warfare, it was a commitment 
to sharing the gospel. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. You know, church, Jesus' strategy has not changed. It has not changed. The, the, the prophets wrote of Jesus, and he will not raise his voice in the streets. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't a zealot, even though he, he had a zealot amongst his crew that he kind of tamed a bit, um, Simon the Zealot, but um, he, he, he was not a political figure that stood on a soapbox and tried to rally the troops against Rome. That's what they were expecting. No, what was the strategy of Jesus? It has not changed. Go into all the world, share the gospel. Share the good news of the love of God in Christ. Changing laws is wonderful if we can do it, right? Getting, getting, getting laws changed, ordinance changes, uh, political changes, Supreme Court changes, all that is great. But law doesn't make morality, right? All it does is attempt to restrain it. The only thing that works is a change from the inside out. And the only thing that affects that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not amassing the crowds. It's changing one heart at a time. Or if you're Billy Graham, you can change 10,000 hearts at a time. But anyway, uh, that's it. It's the gospel. Changing people from the inside. Getting more people in their hearts in line with the Spirit of God. That's what's going to turn this nation around. From the inside out. So there was a commitment to sharing the gospel. And look at here. They asked for what? Boldness. Boldness. This is where the rubber hits road. They knew, just like us, that not everybody's going to want to hear it. Not everybody's going to want to hear it. That their message at some point would be even opposed. That even though this is a message of love and grace, God loves you. He sent Jesus to die for your sins. He wants to have a relationship with you so you can walk with him in this life and have peace and have strength in the midst of storms and trials and eventually spend eternity in heaven with him. That's the good news, right? Even though it's a message of love and caring for people, they knew they would be rejected. Just like we know that when we share that message, time after time, we're going to be rejected. And nobody likes rejection. Nobody likes rejection. So we, we don't want to... And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that we push, but sometimes we, we don't even want to say anything at all. Lest we offend anybody with a message of love and grace, Right? But no, no, we, we, we might get rejected, so we shy. Look at the, they prayed for boldness. I like that. So we can pray for boldness. God, help me to understand how important this is to share Jesus Christ with people around me. To, to look for open doors and opportunities. Not to be like a bull in a china shop. Not the, not the turn or burn kind of thing, right? But to look for opportunities to share your love with others. 
And even though I feel ill-equipped, and even though they might turn me down, Lord, give me the boldness to share. Give me the boldness. The third thing that I see in the early church is faith. Faith. Look what they said. Well, when we do that, we're going to look to you, Lord, to stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. God's not dead, folks. God's not dead. When you look at the miracles in the Bible, in the Gospels, uh, especially those in the book of Acts, the miracles of healing, etc., the vast majority of them went along with the preaching of the gospel. In other words, God was affirming that gospel message by signs and wonders, by healings, by showing up to say, yes, this is true. Listen to this, right? Mark chapter 16, verse 20, literally says, And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. But see, the disciples expected that. They saw it in the ministry of Jesus. They expected it. We, we don't expect things like that anymore. We don't, I, I don't think very much in our scientific, we're beyond, you know, kind of a culture um, that we're not looking for those things, looking beyond for God to do greater things than we could even imagine. But I think we need to. The disciples expected it. That's their prayer. And that's why it's so important not only to share the gospel with people, but, but, but catch this, to allow their circumstances to create open doors. Allow the circumstances of the people that we're talking to to open doors. Why? Because they're going through stuff. Either they're going through it, their mother's going through it, somebody that they know is in the hospital, got cancer, on a vent, they're doing this, they're doing that, they're doing other thing. People have needs. We, we go through this every Sunday when we pray for, for the church, right? Somebody's got either themselves or a loved one that's in a dire strait. What a golden opportunity that we have through those circumstances to say, hey, You know, I believe in the power of prayer. Can I pray with you? Would you, would, would you mind? Can, can I pray for you? Right? How many people turn down prayer? <laughs> Not very often. Right? So on the one hand, just, just coming in cold with, with uh, you know, the gospel is one thing. But, but to reach people where they're at and to say, hey, can I pray for you? And by the time you get done with that heartfelt prayer, what an opportunity to say, you know, God really does love you. He really does. So much that he sent Jesus to die on a cross for us so that we could be reconciled to him. It's just just washed away from all the bad stuff we've ever done. He did that in my life. 
boy, I'd like to see him do that in your life, right? So you, can, you have a natural progression into sharing the gospel through the circumstances. Plus, there is an open door then for God to make himself known in their life. Right? Can I pray for you? Here you go, God. Here is your opportunity for you personally to show that person that you love them. Your turn. <laughs> you know, back to you in New York, God. You know, it's it's not on me. Uh, I'm not I'm not, I'm not the, the healing evangelist that's going to, you know. No. Here you go, God. Here is your opportunity. And I'm going to trust you by faith to meet them and to do something awesome in their life. Something that they turn around and go, yeah, that must have been God. Even if they don't hear the rest of it, right? You've planted a seed. God has planted a seed, right? As he's worked in them. And as, as even as the Apostle Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase, right? So you may plant one seed, followed up by somebody over here, and down, 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 might be three years down the road. But then a new heart comes into the kingdom. But it takes prayer, right? It takes the, the willingness to be rejected. It takes the willingness to be... Um, uh, I, I remember one time I was going to the hospital to visit somebody and as I'm walking to my car, I got other things I got planned, I'm, you know, do something else. There was somebody standing out front the door. God says, turn around. I don't like that any more than you do. I don't know this person. But the, my heart's beating in my chest. I know the spirit of God is on me. I need to go talk to that guy, right? It takes the willingness to do stuff like that. To be obedient to the Spirit of God when He when He moves. So no, we're not picking up our muskets. We're not we're not getting on our horses and riding through town. But are are we first of all? Can we see what's going on in this nation? And can we see that as a church we're the only ones that can really do anything about it? Can we see where the we're we're going this way or and if? We can affect this. We can make changes for our grandchildren and beyond, right? What are we willing to do for that? Are we willing to pray? Are we willing to take the time to get on our knees and hound heaven? Are we willing to share the gospel with people because that's the only thing that's going to work? Are we willing to trust God to meet them and to make that change in their heart? If we can do these things, and they're going to take time and effort and boldness, if we're willing to do it. Just like 1776, you know, it worked. It cost, but it worked. And do you think the enemy is just going to lay down and let it happen? Might as well paint a bullseye on your chest. This is where the rubber hits the road as believers in Christ. He's not going to just lay. He wants people destroyed. He wants to destroy this nation. He wants to destroy families. 
He wants to destroy the, even the definition of family and what, it, and what it's all about and marriage, the, the, the basic foundation of everything in our society. Destroy it all. He wants to divide. He wants to create hatred. And if you and I stand in his way, we are going to become targets. That's why Paul follows up the struggle against spiritual forces in the heavenlies with the armor of God, which I don't have time to get in all with this morning, but study it, read it, understand it. Um, Know what putting on those pieces of armor means, which which is more understanding of the truth of those things. And um, having that truth in your heart, walking in it. So we can either moan and complain while the enemy gets away with murder, or we can declare, like our forefathers did, enough is enough. And commit our lives, our comfort zones, our fortunes, and our honor for our nation and our children and our children's children. Amen? When the early church did that, when they raised up their voices, when they prayed for boldness as they went out, when they trusted God to work with them, when they finished that prayer, what's the Bible say? The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. How did God respond to that prayer? By filling them with his spirit. And what happened from there? They went out into the world and turned it upside down. If you know anything about Roman empire and history and the morality that was going on at that time, it doesn't make us look like Boy Scouts, but it's it was every bit what we've got and more. And they went and turned the world upside down. How, how do you get from, from a morality like that in the Roman Empire to the way that our country started out under God? How do you go from, from lawlessness and, and morality that's, that's in the toilet to um, the, the kind of values and things that we started out in this country? God. Change difference, right? They did it. We can do it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this nation. And God, I I pray that you would make us uncomfortable. And I, God, I raise my hand just like anybody else. Um, there, There is too much that we have too many material blessings and all kinds of things to take up our time and attention, make us really, really comfortable, and then watch this nation, quote-unquote, go to hell in a handbag. And I pray, Lord, that you would make us uncomfortable, that we would see what is going on, that we would be... um, Cut to the heart, Lord, 
not only with what's happening, but with what we ourselves can do about it. And that you would give us the kind of resolve and the kind of courage that you gave to our founding fathers to make a difference, understanding the cost and the willingness to sacrifice. Thank you for their lesson. Thank you for the lesson, Lord, of the revivals that have taken place uh, here in this country and around the world. It's our only hope. We ask you, Lord, to do it again. Do it again. Raise up a church, Lord, powerful and strong in spirit to do battle in the heavenlies, to go out, Lord, with the power of your gospel, change lives for your glory and for our future. We praise you. We thank you. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. And amen.